Welcome to another edition of the Your Financial Editor program right here on Free Talk Radio 930 WFMD at WFMD.com. And also you can catch Your Financial Editor uh, program uh, as a podcast either in the audio vault at WFMD.com or go to Apple uh, podcast and you can grab it there. I am Chris Murray, your host. Thanks so much for being with us today. Uh, good program laid out for you. Really interesting top stories we're going to tackle. Um, also, uh, joining me in just a little bit is the vice president of public policy at Americans for Limited Government Foundation. Um, they did some interesting research and analysis on the bloated government and um, just how unnecessary so many uh, pieces of that are. Also, they did a little uh, bit uh, that I saw later in the week um, on the, um, the the Senate illegal immigrant amnesty bill that failed um, in the Senate. So we'll touch uh, on that uh, with my guest, as I said, Vice President of Public Policy, Mr. Robert Romano, uh, in just a little bit, so stay tuned. Um, when we look at these top stories, you know, we continue to see uh, these job cuts annou- announcements uh, again this week. Snap, which is the uh, parent company of Snapchat, said at the beginning of the week that they're cutting another 10 percent of their global workforce. Um, you know, they're going to face uh, charges of between 55 million and 75 million during this first quarter of the year you know back in august of 2022 i was telling you about snap laying off 20 percent of their workforce then so um just a a really tough time um in all areas as far as uh layoffs go you know last week we talked about ups announcing 12,000. Um, so it just continues uh, into this uh, new year of 2024. So there was um, I talked I touched on this last week, you know, about some volatility in the banking sector, regional banks in particular, that continued this week. Uh, the rating agency Moody's came out and downgraded New York Community Bank's uh, long-term and short-term uh, issuing uh, to junk basically they just said look it's uh this is junk status now they warned of further downgrades which would not be good and um that really continued to hurt a lot of regional banks so what happened is last week uh New York Community Bank came out with their earnings. They weren't as good as expected. Um, their people were worried about their exposure to the um, uh, commercial real estate uh, part of their uh, book of business. Uh, we know that, um, again, a lot of borrowers um, are wondering what's going to happen with uh, folks having to refinance uh, debt. And obviously, it's at higher interest rates. Uh, They had to cut their dividends. So like I said, that continued this week. And um, I doubt it's going away anytime soon. And we'll just continue to keep an eye on it for you. Uh, Some banks obviously are getting taken down um, because they deserve it. Others, look. They're just in the barrel, right? They're they're getting uh, some uh, some shrapnel as well um, with what's going on, whether they deserve it or not, just because of the sector. Um, look, I I 
did not see this coming, but now that it's happened, it makes uh, uh, kind of a lot of sense to me. I'm not surprised by it. You know, we've been following Bud Light's demise for almost a year now as far as their market value dropping by $27 billion. I told you last week that, um, the, what was it, January 20th, um, year-over-year sales for Bud Light were down um, just shy of 30%. I think it was 29.9%. This week, really interesting development. President Trump, at the beginning of the week, said that Bud Light has paid the price for its controversial partnership with the transgender cross-dresser guy, uh, Dylan Mulvaney. Um, and bas- basically, he wrote a post on Truth Social, his um, social media platform, um, saying that 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 ad, that relationship was a mistake of epic proportions, which we know. Right. Uh, we've talked about that. And he said for that, a very big price was paid. But Anheuser-Busch is not a woke company. Um, and um, he, he just he said, uh, you know, quite a few different things. Um, Bud Light still trying to claw back. Like I said, year over year sales were down just shy of 30 percent. Um, they've got the um, uh, the Manning brothers. They've got other folks. They just signed. Here's here's the connection as far as I'm concerned. Um, oh, the other thing he wrote, by the way, is Anheuser-Busch is a great American brand that perhaps deserves a second chance. That's what he wrote. Now, here's the connection. Just what I think. Dana White is a very good friend of President Trump. Dana White obviously uh, founded and took the UFC to from nothing to stardom. And um, you, the UFC folks love President Trump. So if you've ever watched a video, when he walks into uh, the arena uh, for a UFC venue, and he, he might have Dana White with him, Kid Rock, you know, different people with him, um, the place goes insane. Well, UFC also just signed a deal with Bud Light. I'm sure what probably happened is that Dana White called his friend, President Trump, and said, look, this is what's going on with this brand. This is where we are. Um, And maybe after doing that, President Trump decided to uh, throw his influence around and make those comments on Truth Social. It's still going to be hard for Bud Light to get people back. I, I, I mean, I, I talk to um, loyal Bud Light beer drinkers, and they still feel so betrayed. So this is really interesting to see this saga now, you know, have take one more step. So the numbers will tell, right? Uh, we'll see what their year-over-year uh, sales are going forward, just like we talked about last week. We'll talk about their profit. Um, I mean, they, look, they've lost uh, shelf space because people weren't buying Bud Light. Retailers made uh, space for other beers like uh, Coors Light and, you know, you fill in the blank. Yingling made a phenomenal push the last couple uh, or the last year, I should say. So uh, anyway, that's the update on Bud Light. We've seen what's happened to these companies, you know, whether it's Bud Light or Target or Disney, you name it. And um, people are just sick of, you know, the, the this false, disgusting narrative 
a plural that have been you know pushed on them and they're and they're fighting back so i'm really going to be curious to see um how this it's almost like a corporate it's in a corporate petri dish you know how this experiment is all going to work out for bud light and these other companies some bad news this week and we got a string of it as far as uh the u.s consumer well and also uh, businesses as well i'll start with businesses uh, the U.S. saw a significant rise in corporate bankruptcies last year with the healthcare industry hardest hit. So a company called DebtWire, their latest restructuring insights report, found bankruptcy filings jumped 58% in 2023. And as I said, uh, healthcare, that, th- those bankruptcies, bankruptcies were up 117% from um, the previous year and represented 21% of all the cases. So you had some real big ones. Uh, the one we had talked about, Envision Healthcare, they had to go into bankruptcy because they had $9.4 billion in debt. There was just no way they were getting out of that without restructuring. Acunum, um, they had $1.3 billion when they went belly up. Um, and then after uh, healthcare, the real estate industry saw the second highest number of filings. No big surprise there. Again, we've been talking about higher interest rates and just the negative impact for people that get caught in that crosshair where, you know, look, if you have uh, uh, something financed at 3% and then all of a sudden it's up for refinancing and you're at five, six, seven percent or whatever it might be based on the property, you have a serious uh, problem. So um, then when we look at the individuals out there, um, Americans are increasingly turning to their credit cards to cover everyday expenses with uh, debt hitting a new record high at the end of December. That was according to the New York Federal Reserve Bank. So uh, in the three period, uh, three month period, I should say, from October to December, total credit card debt surged to one point one three trillion dollars. It was up $50 billion just from the previous quarter, according to the report. So people, you know, they're struggling out there. That You, you look at the credit card debt. Then on top of that, we saw that a number of uh, Americans are falling behind on their car payments. That's because we've got sky-high prices for used cars, for new, new cars, um, People, Americans are having to drain their savings. They're forced to take out bigger loans. Uh, interest rates are higher. So at the end of December, just shy of 7.7% of auto debt moved into delinquency. That's the highest level since 2010. Um, you know, you remember who was running things back in 2010, the same people that are running things now, Obama and Biden and their minions. So not a big surprise to see that. Uh, we haven't seen that nasty number since 2010. And the other interesting piece of this was the percentage of consumers paying at least $1,000 a month for a vehicle surged to 17.1% last year, an all-time high. And, you know, some of this is by necessity, right, where um, people have to buy certain vehicles for their business. um, And, again, with those record high new and used car prices and higher interest rates, you can get up there pretty quickly. 
Um, so not a good report, but like I said, we wanted to, you know, to let you know what's going on with, uh, with the consum- the American consumer these days, what they're, uh, what they're facing. Unfortunately, we heard from Janet Yellen this week. That's never a good thing, um, because nothing good comes out of it. And she was, uh, appearing before the House Financial Services Committee, and she was asked about um, balancing the budget. So a congressman from the state of Texas, Congressman Sessions, um, basically said, you know, he was asking her, do you think we need to uh, balance the budget, and if so, will it be done over the next 50 years to ensure the country is on proper financial footing. Her, her response, I don't think the budget needs to be balanced. The U.S. budget does not need to be balanced to be on a fiscally sustainable path. That was her answer. Then she added that Joe Biden's deficit reduction economic proposals would help, quote, guarantee, unquote, the government is on a sustainable path. If anybody that looks at any of the numbers and how our debt is surging on a second-by-second basis, if you go to the usdebtclock.org, if you believe that, then this country's not going to make it, period, because things have to change. Been saying it for years and years and years. Things have to change. I don't care if you've got an R after your name or a D or an I, whatever. If you're not voting for fiscal responsibility, then you're basically against this country and against the Americans uh, in it. So you had the former House Budget Committee chair, the guy, uh, the congressman from uh, Kentucky, a Democrat, who contended that the U.S. government never has to pay off the national debt. He basically said in the past, we don't need to find ways to take money from people to pay for what we need to do in this country because we issue our own currency, because we borrow and spend in our own currency. We can pay for whatever we want to pay for. He said that in June of 2021. This is not a drunken sailor mentality. This is a a passed out sailor drunk sailor mentality. It just makes absolutely no sense. What they're saying, those that are fiscally irresponsible, is that all we have to do is print more money. That's a stu- How do these people get in there? How do, how do these people get elected and then they have a vote to go with getting elected? $34.2 trillion in debt. By the end of the year, we'll probably be at $36 trillion. And we're continuing to run annual deficits of, you know, seven hundred billion, a trillion dollars, one and a half trillion. That math doesn't work. Spending has to stop. That's why we're going to be talking with uh, my guest in just a little bit, um, Robert Romano, Vice President of Public Policy at Americans for Limited Government Foundation. Um, you're going to be, I think, very surprised to find out how much government we could get rid of and unfortunately not make a dent in the debt and the the spending. But we're going to talk about that. So then the other thing Yellen had to dodge and misrepresent, um, she was asked during a hearing, um, 
whether the Treasury Department instructed financial institutions to monitor legal purchases for signs of extreme extremism. You believe that? Right? The police state? So the Congresswoman from Missouri, Ann Wagner, did a great job. Here's her question. Has Treasury, including FinCEN or federal banking agencies like the Fed, the FDIC, OCC, instructed financial institutions to search Americans' legal transactions in attempts to surveil their purchases? Yellen uh, responds, well, we received a letter from you, I believe, on this topic, and we intend to investigate and to respond. So what that really means, obviously, is they haven't done anything. So um, Miss Wagner was right back at it. She was a bulldog. It was great. Have you instructed banks and financial institutions to provide this information? Yellen. Um, well, FinCEN... Our job is to work with financial institutions to make sure she began talking and Wagner interrupted her, which she should have done. Are they instructing financial institutions to search Americans' legal, uh, legal transactions in attempts to surveil their purchases? And then Yellen, all she could say was, I promise a thorough look into everything. That was it. So the committee's obtained documents indicating that MCC codes were used to query transactions like a 3484 small arms, a 5091 sporting and recreational goods and supplies, also keywords like Cabela's and, and Bass Pro Shops, among others. So if you think you're not being watched and, uh, and, and surveilled, think again. And that's why another reason, Yellen and all the rest of them, they got to go. Um, and the ones we don't know about are even more scary. Um, and then, you know, we get back to this double standard, right, that, you know, you little people, you do what we tell you to do, and we're going to do whatever we want to do. Well, a group has renewed an ethics complaint against uh, Jamie Raskin uh, down in Montgomery County, a Democrat congressman, for failing to properly disclose his wife's stock holdings. Huh. Imagine that. Yeah, a complaint was filed, highlighted possible violations of federal financial disclosure laws by Raskin, who waited too long to report stock shares that his wife, Sarah Bloom Raskin, received for her work at a Colorado-based financial technology company is the allegation. So, um, you know, you've got uh, the uh, Center for Renewing America who made this complaint, this uh, ethics complaint, basically saying that it is imperative that members disclose assets that they or their families have in compliance with the law so that the public can assess what may be motivating a member of Congress to take a certain position or actions. That's what the letter said. So um, the wife, you know, she disclosed a $1.5 million payout and uh, it was received later, or excuse me, reported later than it should have been. Um, and then you've got the American Accountability Foundation, a watchdog group had previously filed an ethics complaint about this um, back in 2022, but it timed out. So um, this is, you know, and the other thing, look, we talked about this. Sarah Bloom Raskin 
was Biden's nomination to serve as a Federal Reserve's vice chairwoman for supervision. Luckily, she didn't make it. Of course, they, they don't deserve it because of the potential uh, and alleged self-dealing and lack of reporting. So, um, look, they probably learned from the best from Pelosi. Uh, again, it doesn't matter if you're a Democrat, Republican, an independent. Um, and by the way, their staff. There was a report we talked about on the program last year about even staff members uh, not reporting things, possibly running on insider information, just dirty, right? Just flat out dirty. Uh, the other thing we saw this week was uh, Jerome Powell basically uh, in an interview saying that um, the Federal Reserve is trying to balance the risk between cutting interest rates too soon, which risks setting off uh, hyperinflation again, or waiting too long and possibly triggering a recession. And he said there is no easy, simple, obvious path. We know that based on the way the Fed held or um, handled inflation the last few years, how late they were. Um, and now, you know, they're going to try to figure out what they're going to do. He's trying not to look political. Um, President Trump already said he wouldn't reappoint him. Um, so, Powell's going to because supposedly if you believe them, the Treasury Department, the Federal Reserve and all of them, they're they're not political people, but really they are. So if he's going to cut interest rates, um, my money would be on the first six months of this year. Right. So what does that leave us? Well, it leaves us the March 19th and 20th meeting, which they kind of already took that off the table because of the jobs report and uh, inflation numbers. Then you have uh, the end of April. It's April 30th and May 1st. And then you're into June, uh, June 11th and 12th. Then you're into July, um, the 30th and 31st. Nothing for August. And then, of course, you're just so close to the election of November um, that, you know, you probably, well, you shouldn't do anything, you know, if you've uh, if you've laid things out properly and you're not being political. But we'll watch and see, you know, just uh, uh, how this plays out. Um, inflation is still a, a serious problem. I know, you know, the politicians and uh, appointees and bureaucrats say it's not. Um, but unless you're an elitist, um, it's uh, it's still a real problem if you're being honest and you're looking at prices uh, and just how expensive everything is compared to uh, three years ago when this uh, spending spree started with uh, Pelosi and and, uh, and Schumer and McConnell and, and all those guilty parties. So um, we'll wait and watch and if that, you know, see, try to determine if they're being political with interest rates to try to help this current administration uh, retain power. Okay, in uh, just a couple minutes, we'll uh, have my guest, uh, Vice President of Public Policy at Americans for Limited Foundation, Mr. Robert Romano, come on and uh, talk about the bloated government. And um, I think you're going to find this very, very interesting. Um, and also the resources that are available to you if you're interested to follow up. And we know we lost a great country singer, uh, American Patriot, uh, this week, uh, Toby Keith. So we're going to enjoy some of his music for this, uh, this program this weekend. Now, Red Solo Cup is 
the best receptacle for barbecues, tailgates, fairs, and festivals. And you, sir, do not have a pair of testicles if you prefer drinking from glass. A red solo cup is cheap and disposable. In 14 years, they are decomposable. And unlike my home, they are not foreclosable. Freddie Mac kissed my ass. Woo! Red solo cup. I fill you up. Let's have a party. Let's have a party. This is Chris Burry, your financial editor on Free Talk Radio 930 WFMD at WFMD.com. And as a podcast, just go to the Audio Vault or go to Apple Podcasts and you can grab it there. Uh, thanks for being with us. Hope things are going well. Looking forward to our discussion uh, today with my guest. Uh, he's been on before, friend of the program, Mr. Robert Romano, uh, Vice President of Public Policy at Americans for Limited Government Foundation. Uh, I had mentioned earlier in the program, put out a couple really good pieces uh, this week, and uh, that's why I wanted to invite him on to uh, talk about that. And uh, by the way, you can get the material we're talking about at no cost. They have a, um, a daily email that they put out, and also you can go to getliberty.org and uh, grab a lot of that content there as well. And um, so uh, we'll get we'll get right into this. Uh, Robert, thanks a lot for taking time out of your schedule to be with us again. I appreciate it. Um, I mentioned uh, the one article that really caught my attention that you penned this week. You could eliminate every federal department, agency, and fire every federal employee, including the military, and still not be able to balance the budget. How can we get our heads around that? Well, the national debt in 2023 grew by $1.8 trillion, um, and the entire discretionary spending budget, that is all of the appropriations bills, things that are not Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, unemployment benefits, so-called mandatory spending, but the discretionary spending for departments and agencies totals $1.7 trillion. So you grow to debt by $1.8 trillion, but and the entire discretionary budget is $1.7 trillion. So even if you eliminated the entire federal government, the entire federal workforce, every department and agency, you still could not balance the budget because mandatory spending is growing way faster um, than revenues have been growing. Um, uh, if you go back to 1963, uh, revenues have grown by about 6.9% a year, while mandatory spending has grown by about 8.9% a year. In the meantime, discretionary spending, Congress is actually kind of fiscally dis- disciplined over this time. It only grew by 5.5%. If mandatory spending had only grown by 5.5%, well, heck, the, ba- the budget would be balanced right now. And what's behind the uh, mandatory spending that, uh, like you said, is, is, um, is, is the cause or the main cause of the problem? Absolutely. So what you're seeing is what the aging workforce as baby boomers are headed into or are retiring um, en masse and will continue to do so over the next eight years. Um, you're seeing Social Security spending is going to balloon to more than two point uh, to three trillion by 2033. Um, Medicare will be north of one trillion dollars by then and then so will medicaid will be up to actually what medicare will be up to 1.8 trillion by 2033 
and Medicaid will be up to close to a trillion at $930 billion. The reason for that is because the percentage of the population over the age of 65 since 1960 has increased from 16% to 26%. And obviously the reason for that is just simply declining fertility. You've seen the fertility go from 3.6 babies per woman back in 1960 when FDA approved birth control down to less than two babies per woman um, almost immediately. Um, And certainly it's been below two babies per woman since 2008 financial crisis. It hit a record low in 2020, which uh, which is to say it was even lower in 2020 than it was in the 1970s after birth control was approved, but you're only coming in at about 1.8 babies per woman at the moment. If you look at countries like South Korea, where it's declined below one baby per woman, I think you can kind of see what the problem here is. Because we're, we're simply not reproducing at a fast enough rate to pay for our entitlements because there's simply not enough taxpayers. This probably also advises why uh, members of Congress are so desperate to allow millions of illegal immigrants into the country every year. So uh, that's part of it, as you're saying, is that um, because we don't have the replenishment um, here in the United States, uh, say, per woman, then they're uh, often looking to the illegal immigrants or and, and legal immigrants to come in and actually play a role in that. I think that's exactly what's going on. Um, and then, uh, you've, uh, you know, but George W. Bush was fond of talking about the worker to retiree ratio. Um, he was also looking to do his own brand uh, of amnesty, I think, towards the end of his presidency. Um, and so what we've noted repeatedly is that politicians, members of Congress, presidents are more comfortable talking about importing cheap labor um, than they are to have an uncomfortable potential conversation with single women about the reproduction rate in this country. So what do you think that is? I mean, again, I I know uh, I I have uh, young children, you know, they're all in their uh, early to middle uh, 20s. And, um, you know, it's it's hard. I mean, they're they've got great jobs. They're working really hard. You know, they're they're making progress. But, you know, you always get a sense that because of high inflation, because of the high cost of living, you know, fill in the blank, um, two incomes needed uh, as opposed to one uh, often just to, you know, to to maintain things. Um, Is that what's behind this lack of reproduction and, you know, one of the the core issues of our, our debt problems? I think in the um, when you get to the 1980s, uh, in the 70s, that was probably definitely the case because in the 1980s, you managed to get back above two babies per woman once the inflation came down from the great inflation of the 1970s. However, um, after uh, the financial crisis, um, when you had a big unemployment problem and then people were you kind of coming out of that, you get to the Obama years and the Trump years. Fertility was still dropping like a stone, even though economic conditions had improved dramatically following the financial crisis. So I believe that there is more to the issue now than just merely economic conditions that say don't get married, don't have children. I think another a huge factor, obviously, is the amount of women going to college. Um, if, uh, I think if you look at white females, um, it would be close to 70 percent of all women um, in, uh, in the, uh, who are still alive and the working age population have gone to college. Um, and so what happens is you delay um, marriage. Um, you also delay having children in pursuit of a career goal. 
um, so you either have fewer children or no children at all as a result of that. And compare, and there, there's also about an eight million gap between the amount of women who have gone to college versus the amount of men who have gone to college. So men don't go to college at the same high rate as women do. Um, and as a result, you know, that's probably eight million potential marriages that just never happened because people never met their future spouses um, at college. Um, and uh, I would just note that uh, uh, politically, the Democrats have a high incentive for uh, females to go to college because the, the women who go to college tend to vote Democrat much at higher rates. Um, and Republicans have a great incentive for both men and women not to go to college because those voters tend to vote Republican at much higher rates. Um, so there's actually a political um, incentives in place for there to be very, very low fertility, much more polarization between Republicans and Democrats, men and women. The national divorce, such as it is, is already taking place. It's between men and women. So um, I know some interesting things have happened in other countries uh, like Hungary, for example, where uh, it's actually um, there's uh, incentives and encouragement and benefits for the traditional family of yesteryear to kind of renew itself and how it's been helpful to the country. And um, and and it's interesting to kind of watch that as it plays out. Is is that something you think that uh, would ever be considered uh, here in the United States um, based on your research and analysis that we would go that way? I know um, former President Donald Trump is proposing so-called baby bucks. Um, so I think he's uh, he has a policy already um, in, in the works uh, should he be uh, elected again uh, this year to uh, provide incentives. So it sounds like he's looking, leaning towards a tax credit, um, although no reports on how large that might be or what would be necessary in order to um, uh, basically to, you know, to actually incentivize the process. Um, I think that that's going to be a big problem um, is how do you actually what is enough money to uh, actually encourage people to both get married and have children? Um, if you look at Hungary right now, for example, um, their their um, their fertility rate is well below two babies per woman. So it's unclear whether the level that they've chosen, it's about one point six or something like that. Um, that that's uh, that's that, that's far, you know, that's below replacement population. Um, and so that, that, that's going to be a problem for them, I think, going forward. Um, and so, I mean, I've done some uh, back-of-the-envelope calculations. For example, if you did 20000 up front for new babies in the United States, regardless of marriage status, um, and then 5000 every year thereafter, after about mm, 20 or well, once, the, once the babies that were produced got into the labor force and they themselves started paying taxes, eventually the program would pay for itself. Um, like you could, you could go, you could aim pretty high, um, and, 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 and do massive tax credits. Um, and that ultimately it would end up paying for itself because the people who were, who were created ended up, uh, working at whatever set 70% rate and then ended up going, you know, and then, uh, you know, end up paying taxes and then they'll do that over an entire lifetime. And that will actually raise more revenue than it would cost up front to do the tax credit. Yeah. So, and that's really interesting and it makes sense, you know, when you say it, do you think that, uh, the general public would understand that? and be able to embrace it. I mean, like you said, it would work out if you could prove mathematically 
that it is going to work out with, you know, uh, reasonable expectations, not pie in the sky. You think if it was presented right, uh, people would, uh, you know, like I said, understand that and actually vote for those types of things? No, because I, I, I find that conservative Republicans in Congress particularly are incapable of voting even for appropriations bills that both cut spending and limit regulations. The votes aren't there to pass these types of legislation. And we know that uh, Demo- uh, congressional Democrats would obviously never go for such a policy, um, even if it meant that there was massive child care. It would be a massive child care tax credit. I, I just, I, you know, I just hypothetically put something out there that's forty thousand dollars per baby, regardless of the marriage status, on the basis that well, about seventy percent of them are going to end up working. Yeah, um, and so eventually they're going to get there. So I think even, I mean, maybe they would go for it. I don't know. Um, it, it, it's possible, um, but it would require a dramatic reshaping of how we talk about these issues again. Um, no, in, the, in, in the entire discussion about Social Security, when have you ever heard anyone point to declining fertility? Yeah, no. That's the problem. Yeah. That's the root cause. It's the obvious easy cause, in fact. It's the most easy to prove cause. Um, and, and But no one brings it up. It's like, oh, well, gee, there's just a smaller worker to retiree ratio. Why is that? Why is that? Right, right. So, I mean, you know, everybody talks about Social Security as the third rail and don't touch it, don't talk about it. But, I mean, we do Mm -hmm. on purpose because we want to make sure that people are aware that, you know, there is going to come a day of reckoning. And uh, we we are reminded of that every year by the the trustees who put out the letter and tell us, okay, this is when it becomes insolvent, whether it's Social Security or Medicare or whatever. So, Mm -hmm. um, again, because it's use pushing you know the grandmother off the cliff in the wheelchair and all that nonsense that you have to wonder what type of person would believe that without looking into it um you you know you said we could eliminate the federal uh every federal department agency fire every federal employee including the military still not balance the budget um so obviously something has to be done with mandatory spending what's the move on that um, well, I mean, it, it obviously attempts to cut mandatory spending uh, when 26 percent of the population as of right now is over the age of 65. And that's going to rise. It's going to get closer to like 30 percent uh, within a decade um, as you reach this so-called day of reckoning when uh, only 80 percent of benefits will be able to be paid out to a massive voting block. Um, I mean, you could obviously try to address this ahead of time. Um, and say, well, uh, you know, I mean, woe unto the incumbent party that's in power once they have to start cutting benefits. Or then they start going in and saying, we need to raise taxes on everyone making over $170,000 or whatever, uh, or over $250,000. We're going to just increase their payroll taxes and suck another $10,000 out of their purses every single year. Uh, and they'll say, well, gee, you know, we need to raise taxes to pay for this. So you're either going to have massive tax increases or you're going to see uh, pretty substantial benefit cuts or you're just going to take it all out of the general fund and just borrow the money. I guess those are your three options or some combination thereof um, in order to uh, make 100 percent of benefits, Social Security, Medicare, et cetera, to go out. Um, but suffice to say, that's you know, we have a catastrophic fiscal situation. OMB is projecting that the national debt will grow to about $50 trillion by 2033. By my own calculations, however, once you factor in recessions and wars, 
The national debt's been growing by 8% a year since 1980. So it'll be more like $69 trillion by 2033 and more like $100 trillion by, say, 2037 or so. And so that's going to be well north of 200% debt to GDP. Um, And who's going to buy all these treasuries? U.S. financial institutions are going to have to buy all these treasuries. Well, heaven forbid the interest rates ever go up, like you have a, uh, you know, you might get a recession and then interest rates go down. Everyone buys treasuries and then interest rates go up um, because we have such catastrophic levels of debt coming forward. I think we have to address this demographic situation that we are in. We cannot afford to import the third world, and we must have an honest discussion between men and women as a nation about what we're doing to basically commit demographic suicide over careerism of all things, over equity of all things. Well, there's no equity if there's no people. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it, you, you know, it, it, it's so hard to hear and we purposely bring up these things uh, constantly because even though it's hard to hear, we need to hear it and we need to be as informed as possible and to understand, uh, you know, basically what the, uh, the, the, the end, end game is. And it's just not looking good at all right now. I mean, basically, it seems like somebody has to, in, in, in power, has to decide to, you know, fall on not just one sword, but I think two right now. One is the border and two is the spending issue uh, and how we're going to fiscally, you know, continue to be a successful country. It's it, These are very um, big problems that we face. Um, that's why you have a constitution. That's why you have elected members of Congress. And that's why you have an elected president. Um, I, I think going forward, It's going to take incredible leadership, I I believe, to address these issues Um, and just just, you know, more than a little bit of honesty about this. We dance around these problems. People, the Congress will wait until you're cutting benefits on senior citizens um, and the trust funds are being depleted rapidly um, before they say, oh, we should do something. Um, And it's that's too late. You, 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 You we must address this right now. But even when you had the debt ceiling deal. Um, in 2023, which resulted in sequestration. We've had two, this will be the second sequestration on April 30. Sequestration is going to go back into effect, um, presuming they don't pass all of the uh, appropriations bills. They never do. So it'll be April 30. You get the sequestration again. Both the sequestrations in 2011 and in 2023 will be successful. They will further press down or freeze discretionary spending levels below the rate of increase for uh, revenues. Revenues will grow faster than discretionary spending. But nothing at all was done to address the mandatory spending side of the equation because everyone always tries to insert poison pills into anything that might address either uh, border legislation or something to do with Social Security and Medicare. And again, they'll do anything except have an uncomfortable discussion with the single woman voting bloc. Yeah, about having children. We yep. need children. We need we need more people. No, no, you're this right. Not working, guys. Exactly. Yeah, I, I mean that's an excellent point and not heard very often. So we appreciate you uh, uh, pointing that out and and that way we can uh, process it ourselves and think about it and understand. Yeah, that's a very reasonable and honest um, conclusion that you know something has to change. Otherwise, we're we're in in real serious trouble. Our guest today has been uh, Mr. Robert Romano. He's the vice president of Public Policy at Americans for Limited uh, Government Foundation. Go to uh, Get Liberty, 
org. Uh, sign up for their newsletter. They've got merch. They've got all kinds of great free articles. Uh, you can get involved with them. Um, and um, yeah, again, Robert, I appreciate you taking the time. You know, I like talking to you a couple few times a year and, and uh, you giving us your perspective on things. So thank you for your time and for all the work that you're doing. No problem, Chris. Have a good day. Thank you. You too. Uh, enjoy your weekend. And again, it's a little bit of a bummer, isn't it? When we talk about truth and, you know, we we say focus on the facts and look behind the curtain and um, and and realize that we've got really, really serious things going on. And uh, for those of us that are, um, you know, committed to the country, uh, you know, love the country, love where we came from, love how God made us and stood by us. Um, there's a, a lot of things we need to work on. Um, and, of course, the main thing we can do is get involved and also with our votes, right, uh, to really understand the people that we're voting for. I don't know about you, but I am sick and tired of thinking I know a politician and what they really stand for and then looking at their voting record and then that very next day seeing them on tv or hearing them on the radio um talking about things that are opposite of what they actually voted for it just i'm sick of it the the double speak um so we'll we'll stay on top of it we'll continue to get you all this uh good information so that you are uh, informed, educated, and can make uh, good, good decisions. Um, and that does it for us. We're up against a hard break again. I appreciate Robert Romano uh, coming on. Go to getliberty.org. A lot of good stuff there. You get their daily emails. Um, I enjoy them, along with a lot of other information from uh, the guests that come on the program. And I will talk with you on the Morning News Express with um, Bob Miller and uh, Chris Williams, and then we'll be back here next um, next Saturday for another edition of the Your Financial Editor program. This is Chris Murray wishing you and your family financial success. American girls and American guys, we'll always stand up and salute, we'll always Recognize when we see old glory flying There's a lot of men dead So we can sleep in peace at night When we lay down our heads My daddy served in the army We lost his right eye But he flew a flag out in our yard Till the day that he died He wanted my mother, my brother my sister and me to grow up and live happy in the land of the free. 